I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, Jenna and I talk about the Mass and the Eucharist and how it's calling us into relationship. So Jenna, I, oh, I forgot to tell you about this. My wife got really mad at me. She, um, we, were, we were driving somewhere and I wouldn't ask for directions. And she basically said that I have no sense of direction. Mm-hmm. And so I got really mad and I packed up my stuff and write. <laughs> it still left you right. I know I did. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to episode 34. Um... Oh, it's good no. to be with all of you. Um, if you are a first-time listener, welcome. Hello! Um, and if you've listened before, um, again, we always love hearing your feedback on these episodes, so please you know, post a story or a screenshot um, on social media and tag us in it. Let us know what you think of these episodes. Uh, and remember, you can become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month on Patreon. If you visit our website, manafoodforthought.com, you can uh, get access to all of our social media accounts, our blogs, our vlogs, every podcast episode that we've put out there, um, and you can also see how to support us financially. So we want to hear from you, um, and we want you to be having access to all the other content that we put on that website as well. So um, yeah, let us know what you think. You guys are pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, peak pit plug. Do you want to go first, Jenna? Sure, I can go. My peak of the week. Um, peak of the week. Peak I like that. Week. My peak of the week um, was I went on a run. Let me tell you, I have not ran in a year. <laughs> so it was rough. And then I tasted blood, which is normal. Matt doesn't think that's that normal. That is not normal. But when you exercise really, 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 really hard... It happens. So it's a symptom of death, I mm, think, is tasting just like blood. <laughs> all of your vessels inside <laughs> your body are exploding. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Anyways, that wasn't my peak. But coming home, <laughs> I had left Adelaide with my sister, and I found them in the living room. And my sister had Adelaide in her lap, and Adelaide was asleep. Aww. And my sister had read her to sleep, and it was the cutest thing. It was so cute. Um, so that was my peak. My pit is that we're still looking for a home, and it's very annoying, and um, just, I'm not a patient human being. <laughs> <laughs> so, I the like patience that it's taking for me to wait for something to come on the market that I actually like and is yeah. in our price range is just tearing at my soul. Um, so that's my pit. It's poop. Yes. Um, and then my plug, right? We're doing plugs? Yes. Nah. Um, is, I haven't done this, but I've heard a lot of people that have done this, and I want to do it this year, and I'm a little behind, but that's okay, um, is the word of the year, like praying for a word for your year. Yeah. Um, and allowing God to really speak into a word for you and use that word to bear fruit in your life. And I just really like that because I have a hard time being consistent with things, and just having the simplicity of one word that God is going to speak to you for the entire year. I really, really, really like Maybe that. Maybe that's your word, consistent. It's probably organization. <laughs> that's been my word for the past few months. Um, so yeah, so that's my plug. Is if Even if 
you know, our year has started and you haven't done that, God still wants to speak a word to your heart and um, you're starting a new day every single day. It doesn't have to be necessarily a new year. It could be a new year from January 10th to January 10th, 2020. 20. <laughs> or some people, uh, like my wife did this, pick a saint for the oh, year that like has been cool. reaching out to them. So yeah, another thing to do. What's yours? Um, my peak... Um, I took vacation and for the first time in my life, I took vacation from work and I didn't go anywhere. Like I spent some time with family over Christmas, obviously, and we traveled a tiny bit, but it was locally. But then I had like a week and a half just home on vacation to spend with family because I, I don't know about you guys, but when you go on vacation, I sometimes come back more tired than when I left. Homecation. Yeah. So it was a staycation. Homecation. Staycation. I'm, I'm making a new word. Homecation. It's a homecation. (laughs) Even though there's already a word for it. Uh, And then another peak, um, when you're listening to this on Saturday, um, when it comes out, or you might listen to it after, but the day this podcast comes out, I'll be on retreat with our year one confirmation team. So that's always a peak, uh, an exciting thing. Uh, My pit is that my vacation is over. And even though I got a lot of intentional time in pretty much every facet of my life, the only intentional time that I was missing was like spiritual time. I didn't get a lot of spiritual rejuvenation or rest. I got a lot of physical rest and I was able to like invest in some things that I had been on my to-do list for a long time and invest in time with family. And I definitely felt spiritually rejuvenated in that way. But um, yeah, I just, I didn't spend enough time just me and Jesus. And I I really had the opportunity to do that and I felt kind of like a failure coming back to work. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's always time to do that. My plug... Is not Catholic at all. It is a show, and um, on Netflix called Tidying Up. Oh my gosh! With Marie Kondo, and um, if any of you know me, you know I am already a very clean and organized person, and this show took me to another level. And um, it's just it's awesome. So if you this year need some organization in your life, um, and there's a way that there's a, a practice of kind of tidying up and cleaning your life and organizing your life that she does on the show that has kind of a spiritual aspect to it. Um, it's all centered around what does brings bring you, you joy. Yes, it doesn't bring you joy. And you can very much Catholicize that or Christianize that. Um, you know, it already in a sense Should be a is. Sticker. But Christianize it. Yes. Um, so I highly recommend that you watch it and put some of those things into practice um, in your life because I know from being organized, um, my life is so much more efficient and I have so much more time for flexibility and spontaneity and to work on projects because I'm so organized. Mm-hmm. So it's really awesome. Um, so today we're talking about one of the core aspects of our faith, uh, the Eucharist and the Mass. Um, do you want to say something? No, I was going to start singing. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't we want to talk about this? Well, I think that as Catholics, um, and maybe you're listening to this and you're not Catholic, but you, maybe you know that like we do communion, like we go up and we have the bread and the wine and like comedians will even sometimes make jokes about it and like why, why do we have snack time in the middle of mass, like what's the point of this? And it it can seem just kind of like a very ritualistic other thing that we do at mass, but the Eucharist is, it says in the catechism, is the source and summit of our faith. Like it is the beginning and the end, the foundation, the apex, like everything that we are as Catholics doesn't really make sense without the Eucharist because the Eucharist is 
what Jesus left us as a commemoration of his sacrifice and it's his body and blood and we believe that as Catholics. And so I want to talk a little bit uh, very briefly about what the Eucharist is because theologically we could go into hours and hours of what the Eucharist so is. Much. But we want to especially focus on as Catholics like how do we enter into that in a new way because mass can be very routine it can be very going through the motions and if we're coming to mass with the expectation that we need to be entertained or it's all about the quality of the music and the homily and the hospitality or what we get out of it yeah what we get out of it those things are all important but they're not why we go to mass and so we kind of want to recenter that and the central aspect of the mass is the eucharist that's why we gather and so what is the eucharist so the eucharist comes from a Greek word that means Thanksgiving. And so uh, first and foremost, it's based, it's a family meal. We gather together around table um, to break bread as family. That's what the Eucharist is. Um, but the, the word um, Eucharist, its root word is charis, which is grace. And we receive grace through the Eucharist because we consider it a sacrament. And the Catholic Church has seven sacraments, all of which we believe were instituted by Christ they're visible signs, and they're meant to give us grace, and they're the ways that we experience grace, that life, that very life of God within our own lives. And so Eucharist, people make their first Eucharist, first communion, um, at least in our area um, in the United States, around what, like, would you say second grade sometime mm-hmm. around then? Mm-hmm. Um, at the time when they're past what's called the age of reason, which is about seven years old, when they can kind of determine, at least at a very fundamental level, what the difference between right and wrong is and what the, what, um, what the importance of making a choice for themselves. Basically the age when you tell them no and they look at you and they go, no, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> they get that like look in their eyes. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're starting to sure, understand. Mom. Yes. The difference between this and, you know, so that's what's called the age of reason. But anyways. <laughs> um, so excited. <laughs> so the Eucharist is... Um, at its very core, a Thanksgiving meal. But beyond that, um, if we want to understand what the Eucharist is, we have to go back to the Old Testament. And so in Exodus chapter 12, you can look at this, but Moses, when he was in Egypt with the Hebrew people who were being enslaved, he was trying to free them, and God, through him, brought a series of plagues upon Egypt. And the very last plague is the Passover and the death of the firstborn. And so how this plays out, you can read this in Exodus chapter 12, but God tells Moses that you need to go on the 10th day of Nisan, which is a Hebrew month, um, and you need to pick a male lamb without blemish, and you need to watch it until the 14th day of Nisan to make sure that it's um, a healthy lamb, and then you need to slaughter it in front of the assembly of people gathered, and then you're going to spread that blood of the lamb on your doorposts, and then you're going to roast the lamb and eat it with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And you're going to eat it as if you're ready to take flight. So with all your clothes, with your shoes on, like as if you're ready to flee. That's the instructions they have. And so um, they do that and the um, angel of death comes over and passes over the houses where the blood is on the doorpost. And it goes into every other home and kills the firstborn child. And it was um, the firstborn child of Pharaoh who um, also was victim of this Passover angel. And the Pharaoh and his family were considered demigods. And when that happened, it kind of said to the Egyptian people, like, your gods are not real. All the plagues were defeats of these different Egyptian gods, if you look at the the actual, like, what is happening in the plague. Uh, And so they're able to be freed. And so every single year from that point forward, the Jewish people had the Passover. 
um, and they commemorated that every single year. And so in Matthew and in um, another gospel, when they gather and have the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus and the disciples, they're celebrating the Passover. And it's the 14th day of Nisan when they're doing this. And so on the 10th day of Nisan, we now call that Palm Sunday. And it's when Jesus, the male lamb of God without sin, male lamb without blemish, comes into Jerusalem. And he is um, his death is plotted uh, um, against him by the Pharisees. And um, on the 14th day of Nisan, days begin at sunset. And so the Last Supper leading into Good Friday um, was the day in which Jesus celebrated the Passover. But also he, as the new lamb was slain and his blood was spread on the cross to forgive our sins and to prevent us from death, but to give us eternal life. And so there, if you understand the Old Testament context for what's happening here, um, it becomes very important. Beyond that, when Jesus at the Last Supper um, in Matthew chapter 26, he, um, he breaks the rubric of the Last Supper or of the Passover meal. And the Passover meal had a series of cups um, the four different cups that were drank and a series of very specific prayers that they followed every single year that had been, you know, in place for, you know, about 1300 years. And Jesus all of a sudden says new words. He says, um, this is in Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, said the blessing, broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, from now on, I shall not drink this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you new in the kingdom of my Father. Then after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what's crazy about this is this was halfway through the rubric of the Passover meal, and Jesus stops, and he leaves. And to Jewish people who had been used to celebrating this every year for their entire lives, they would have been like, what the heck is going on? Like, what is Jesus saying? What do these words mean? And so that's why the Eucharist to us is so important. Because Jesus, he receives on the cross that fourth cup of wine when he says, I thirst. And they give him wine on a sponge with hyssop. That was a very specific herb that was... um, put in the blood that was spread on the doorposts in the Old Testament in Exodus. And it's seen as the fulfillment, the completion of the Passover meal. And it says, I will not drink of the fourth cup until I see you in the kingdom of mm-hmm. heaven. And right after that, he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's pretty clear that Jesus is saying, I'm instituting something new here. Yes, the Passover was a prefigurement of this, but this final covenant, this final relationship I want to be in with you is the Eucharist. And we had a series of covenants before with Adam, with Abraham, with Moses, with Noah, and with David, but all of them were broken. And so Jesus comes down and decides, I'm going to make an eternal covenant, a new covenant that cannot be broken. And that's going to be sealed by his blood on the cross Mm -hmm. and a perpetual offering of his body and blood for us in the Eucharist. And so when we go to mass and we receive communion, we're not just doing it as this ritual. Like we're doing it standing in the footsteps, the um, imprints of our Jewish forefathers as a Judeo-Christian religion and recognizing this is the fulfillment of the Passover and this is an eternal offering for our sins to preserve us from death. Um, that Jesus offered us in the sacrifice on the cross that he asked us to commemorate in the celebration of the Eucharist. And in that, he is offering us his very body, his very blood, his soul, and his divinity every single day at Mass. And there's a radical thing that happens in Mass when um, the transubstantiation happens is that 
heaven and earth meet. Yep. And this amazing, beautiful, unseen encounter that we get to have with our Lord, with everybody in heaven, rejoicing. Um, the angels are singing above us. Like so much is going on that we just don't see that our souls are not quite tapped into. Um, but there's been so many saints that within mass have, have seen this glory and this heaven that it's literally crashing into our church, into that altar, into that moment um, with us, that we can encounter Christ, we can encounter heaven in those moments, and we just sit there and, you know, dream about what we're going to do after Mass, and we don't really recognize the glory that's happening in front of us and the beauty that's happening in front of us because our souls are tired and they're thirsting for something more and they're not recognizing what's in front of us. So, um, I forgot my other point. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's exactly right. And so like if you ever go in a Catholic church, you see there's an altar. Right above the altar is normally a crucifix. Mm-hmm. So it's like where the meal is going to be um, happening, where the, the bread is going to be broken, the completion of that same Passover meal in the cross is hanging right above it mm-hmm. as a perpetual reminder. And all of that is hoisted up above usually about three steps. And those three steps signify, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, three. And when you go up those steps in the midst of Mass, spiritually, you are entering into the heavenly host. Like, that is the area, the geographic space where heaven is literally touching earth during every Mass. And so, as Jenna said, saints have been gifted with the ability to be able to see the spiritual reality, have visions of what's really happening spiritually at Mass. And that's happening perpetually at every church, somewhere in every single time zone, every single day, every single year. Like that's, that's crazy. And so not only is that why we gather as a commemoration of that, um, we gather not to receive entertainment, Mm -hmm. but we gather because we are entering into that relationship. God is offering us his complete self in the Eucharist. And so we come to offer our complete self in praise and thanksgiving. That's what Eucharist means. Thanksgiving for all he has done. And so it's a matter of changing our perspective to ask that question, what is our experience at Mass? What are the things you focus on? What are the things you offer? What are the things you are looking to receive or think about after Mass? And are those things nourishing to your spiritual life? Because um, I think a lot of times we come to Mass um, just expecting to be entertained. We want the music to be good. We want the homily to be inspiring. Um, we want there to be crazy hospitality so that you know visitors know and, that this is a place where they're welcome. And yes, all those things are so, 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 so important. But they're not why we have Mass. You know, they're not. And I've had Mass with you know, six people in a room off a hotel lobby. I've had mass in, you know, houses. I've had mass, you know, in different parts of the world, in different languages. On a mountaintop. <laughs> yes, yeah. All different places, outside, inside. Like, the the perpetual reason why we gather is a meal of thanksgiving for all that Jesus did for us. Um, and so that's why we gather. And because of that, I want to share with you this imagery for the mass that I found very helpful in my relationship with God, um, because my favorite mass that I ever had was my wedding mass. And I think that's obviously biased because it was like the most important day of my life, basically. But um, I think Jenna would probably agree that her you know, favorite yeah. mass was probably her wedding. Yep. Um, but my second favorite mass was the day after my wedding. And what happened the day after my wedding was we got married on a Saturday and we weren't leaving for our honeymoon until that following Friday. And so the next day, we went to Mass in the morning, 
And we met up with some people and had breakfast. But at that mass, I was kneeling um, before communion and we went up to go get communion. And I just had this flashback to the day before of my wife walking down the aisle and me waiting for her at the altar and recognizing I was doing the same thing right then and Jesus was waiting for me at the end of that communion line. And it kind of just put everything into perspective that there's a lot of theology surrounding this that I had read or glimpsed before, but I kind of fully came into this understanding that every Mass is a wedding feast, but not just a wedding feast, every Mass is my wedding feast. That I'm being invited into a relationship with Jesus at every Mass. Like that type of covenant, wedding-like relationship. That I am coming to Mass, giving Jesus everything. So when the bread and the wine is brought up to be blessed, that's me being brought up to be blessed and broken and transformed. And all my intentions, all my worries, all my anxieties, all my hopes are being laid on that altar. And he is transubstantiating them. They look new, or they look the same, but they're being made into something new because he is infusing his very body, blood, soul, and divinity into them. And it's the same thing that happens in the actual bread and wine, that we see it as still bread and wine. It looks like wine, it tastes like wine, but as Jenna said, the substance of it miraculously becomes the body, blood, and blood of Jesus. Um, and so we believe this so adamantly that there are there is a saint in the Catholic Church of people falsely accused of cannibalism. Her name is Saint Blandina, and people used to ask for her intercession because a lot of people didn't understand why we believed that this was body and blood, like real real flesh, real blood, and how that wasn't cannibalism, and why we believed that. And it's it's because it's a sense of like Jesus is offering us his living self. There's no death in it. There's no destruction. It's he's offering us his very living body, his very living blood so that we can be sustained spiritually um, and we can be nourished by that food and we can be in perpetual relationship with him. Isn't that right, Adelaide? She just can't wait to receive Jesus. Can't wait. Um and so I want, I want to invite you to think about that for a second, that at every Mass, we walk down the aisle because Jesus is at the altar waiting for us. Like, he's at the altar waiting to give us himself because he loves us that much, that he would stand there perpetually in a wedding-like vow mm-hmm. with thousands, millions of people every day, even if their vows are faulty, even if they're coming to Mass not with a commitment in mind. And he's there faithfully at that altar every single day for us. And so like that kind of, when I realized that, it kind of challenged me to, to recognize like, how am, I, how am I really meant to prepare? How am I really meant to give or be changed at this mass? Um, because I don't know if that's what, you know, was, was typically on my mind and what's typically on our mind when we go to mass. And I think I, I've done this before and I know we've kind of mentioned it a little bit, but um, we go into mass and we expect to get something out of it. Like, we go into Mass and we, and then come out, and if we feel like the music wasn't good, the homily wasn't good, the, we were distracted, or we were bored, then it's, oh, well, I just, I don't really get anything out of Mass. But the reality is that God has given you everything. Every piece, every fiber, every moment of His being, He has poured into the Mass and poured into the Eucharist. And you going in and saying, oh, I didn't get anything out of it, is because how much are you pouring in back? Yeah. Like, are you pouring every moment, every piece of your being, every thought, everything that you have and you are into that mass? 
Because when you do, and I notice and recognize this, even in my moments of being distracted, if I give that to God in that moment, okay, Lord, I'm distracted. Um, If I give everything that has happened in the week and I, I give him that in the mass, I will feel the presence of God so much more. And I will yeah. recognize what he's pouring into me when I pour back into him. And so for us to go into mass recognizing, I need what am I not giving? What am I not, what am I withholding from our Lord? Because when we do that, there will be this um, reciprocation of us pouring in and him pouring back into us that we will then recognize actually truly how much he has given and is giving. Yeah, absolutely. And this imagery is in scripture, like Ephesians chapter 5, um, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her. And so there's this wedding imagery here mm-hmm. that like we're meant to have an echo of that gift of self in marriage. But that's supposed to provide a lens through which we can look back at Christ and say, oh, this is how he's offering himself to me mm-hmm. in the form of a wedding type image. And not like me as a man, like looking at Jesus, like, whoa, I'm marrying you. Like we're both yeah, guys. Here. Like, not, not to, it, that's <laughs> earthly. We're thinking in earthly terms, but thinking of the level of relationship, the level of unity, the level of love and respect and offering ourselves to one another that exists mm-hmm. in a wedding type covenant. That's what God is offering us. And like to imagine that phrase, like you said, Jenna, like, oh, I didn't really get anything out of it. Can you imagine if we'd said that at our wedding or if our spouses had said that to us? Like, yeah, hey, when we, got, when we got home at the end of the day or back to the hotel or whatever, like, how, how was today for you? Yeah, I didn't really get anything out of it. Like how much that would have hurt Ouch. the other person. Yeah. And yet we do that to Jesus constantly. Mm-hmm. And like the woundedness that that has to cause and yet he still shows up every day for us. Um, you know, in that passage I read from Matthew, when he's instituting the words of the last supper, when he says like, this is my body, take this and eat. There are over 40 different words in Aramaic, the language that Jesus spoke that can mean symbolize or represent. He doesn't use any of them in that passage or anytime he's talking about the Eucharist. The word he uses is a word that means to gnaw, like a dog gnawing on a bone. Like I want you to actually chew on my flesh. I'm offering myself to you as a sacrifice. And when you understand Old Testament sacrifice, like the priesthood of the temple and that people brought sacrifices to the temple Mm -hmm. to offer atonement for their sins and that Jesus is now offering himself as that perpetual sacrifice for us, that we don't need that temple anymore, that that veil has been torn and we now have direct access to God through the person of Jesus and his sacrifice. Like that's crazy that he'd be willing to do that for us and show up for us still every single week, despite the fact that we ignore the gift. Um, And so if you don't, if you're kind of listening to that and you're struggling with like, whoa, wait a minute. Like I I thought that was just a symbol or I I don't really think that's the body and blood of Jesus. There are a lot of Catholics, a majority of Catholics miss, have a misunderstanding of that teaching. They, they don't believe, um, if you were to ask them on the street, that that is the transubstantiated real presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, real flesh, real blood. They don't believe that, um, because they've been misinformed or they just never knew that. Um, or they've never seen any type of tangible proof. If you're in that camp, I want you. I want to encourage you to look up something called the Eucharistic miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's so many of them, and the most famous one is um, in Lanciano, Italy, and I think the eighth century. Um, a priest was um, consecrating the Eucharist at Mass, and the Eucharist turned into actual flesh. 
and the wine turned into actual blood. We don't believe this happens at every Mass. We believe the substance changes, but this was actual, the physical appearance also changed miraculously at this Mass. And so it was preserved and considered a miracle, and the, the blood eventually coagulated into pellets. Um, and they tested these, and they, they, um, the weight of the different pellets seemed to defy physics and matter. Like one weighed as much as four, but five weighed as much as, you know, uh, two weighed as much as three. Like they, they didn't have, you know, they didn't obey the proper laws of matter. Um, and then the flesh was preserved in kind of a little monstrance or a little um, reliquary. Um, and it's still preserved and you can go see it today, but they didn't have the technology to hermetically seal things, to preserve things chemically at the time. Um, and so they just kept it in this case for years. And in the 1970s, I think it was tested by scientists and anytime the Vatican wants to get any type of scientific analysis of something, they send it to an outside place, an outside lab, and they, they don't tell them what it is. They just send them a sample and they say, tell us whatever you can about this. And so in this circumstance, this um, these scientists studied this tissue uh, and they found that it was um, male heart tissue, that it was living, that it was alive. It still had white blood cells in it, which die very fast when flesh dies. That it was not from a cadaver or from an animal, but it was living male heart tissue, blood type AB. And that it was from the tissue on the wall of the heart. Like that Jesus scientifically was confirmed to be offering his very heart to us every time we receive the Eucharist. And there have been more of those in more recent years. One that happened, I think, in um, the early 2000s in um, Buenos Aires, and then one that happened, I think, in the last five or six years yeah, in recently. Poland. Um, and all those are being tested. They're being, you know, like cross-examined, and they're, they're finding the same findings. Heart tissue of an adult male, living tissue, not of a cadaver, not of an animal, with white blood cells in it, alive, from the heart. And one of the more recent ones was from the part of the heart that controls the heartbeat, like the muscle of the ventricle that controls the beating of the heart. Like that's crazy that that's being offered to us. So they've even tested it with the Shroud of Turin and found like some, some similarities in the blood type and things like that. Mm. Um, the substances that you can, the samples you can take from the Shroud of Turin are very minimal and they're very old. Um, and so it's more difficult to get something beyond that, but they have found a lot of matches and stuff. So I encourage you to go research that and read it. Um, it's, it's really, really crazy stuff. Uh, I'll try and put some links in the show notes if we can find some adequate ones uh, to give you just a place to start. Um, but I want, I want this idea to kind of perpetuate um, just some tips that we have um, or that I want to share with you, how we enter into mass. If we see mass as a wedding, as our wedding, how should we enter in? And so let's talk about just preparing. Like Jenna, you and I know, and anyone who's married knows, or if you've ever been to a wedding party or at, like involved in a wedding in any, you know, any way that has any type of responsibility, yeah. it takes a lot of preparation. Yep. You're preparing for months mm -hmm. to make this happen. Um, and so how are you and I preparing for Mass? Because if Mass is that same type of celebration, how are we entering into that by the way that we prepare? Are we being intentional? Like when we got married, we had to remember our vows. We had to, um, you know, we had to dress a certain way. We had to get up early. We had to make sure we had our hair and everything done. You probably more Gosh, so than me. So um, long. It's too and, long. Yeah, making sure like everything, 
was right and perfect because we wanted to enter into this day so intentionally because mm -hmm. it was going to mark the rest of our lives. And we don't realize that every time we go to Mass, that encounter is meant to mark the rest of our lives in the same way. And I think the um, when we prepared, I know for myself, I always, it, it, like, every moment, everything that I did in preparation for it, I tried to pause and have some sort of reflection or, like, almost take a snapshot of what was going on because I really wanted it to be... Like, I really wanted to be very intentional with my time. And so being intentional with the time that you take, you prepare for Mass and where you're going with this. Yeah. And um, instead of just going through the routine of preparing for Mass. Because yeah. I think we can easily be like, oh, I know I need to be doing this. But we kind of lose the focus of being intentional about it. Yeah. And so different ways that maybe you can prepare. Um, reading the readings in advance. If you look up daily readings in Google, even if you don't type the word Catholic in, like the USCCB Catholic daily readings is probably the first link that pops mm -hmm. up. So if you search anything about daily Catholic readings, they'll pop up. And there's a, reading, a set of readings for every day. But you can also go to the side. There's a little calendar in the right-hand corner. Um, and you can pick the upcoming Sunday. And you can find the readings. And some Bibles even have the lectionary in there. Right now, in uh, the year that started this Advent, and now the remainder of the year of 2019 until December, um, we're in cycle C. And there's a three-part uh, three cycle, A, B, and C. That cycles through every three years for all of Sunday Mass. So that we, by the end of three years, if we go to Mass every single week, we hear about 50 to 60% of Scripture. And it cycles through based on different themes and things like that. So um, there's an intentionality to the readings that are there because we're meant to prepare them. We're meant to uh, enter into them because there's a specific message that God has for us every single week that's different uh, every single week at Mass. And so... I want to encourage you to think about um, how am I preparing the readings? Um, every Sacred Sunday is a great mass journal that you can get that can help you prepare the readings. It has the exact ones in there so you don't even have to look them up. You just turn to the date and it has the right ones in there for you and helps you kind of like pray through them, pick out keywords, maybe write down intentions. Also think about what am I bringing to Mass spiritually? Am I bringing the intentions for prayer that people have asked of me? Am I bringing my own hopes, the things that I need to discern, the choices I'm trying to make in life? Right, Adelaide? Right. her crybabiness. Oh. Um, am I bringing those things to Mass? Am I offering them on the altar? Am I letting God transform them? Mm -hmm. And thinking also about... What mass am I going to go to? That shouldn't be like a last minute thing. Like, okay, we'll see like if work goes this or this goes late and then I have all these options. Like, no, intentionally pick the one you're going to go to in advance, maybe a few days in advance so you can prepare properly to know like, I know I'm going to have to get up by this time. I want to make sure that I've slept this much the night before. Like, you know, I have what I need to be able to get there. And then when you get there, when you park, this drives me crazy. When I go to mass... Even early, like 20 minutes early, that there are already people parking on the street when there's free parking in the parking lot and people are parking in, pulling backwards because getting to Mass, they're already thinking about when getting they're out. leaving. Yeah, they're already thinking about how am I going to be able to get out of here as quickly as possible. That is not what you would think at your wedding. You know, like you want that celebration to be like something you remember for the rest of your life. And so thinking about how anytime you're approaching the Mass... Put it up to the lens of a wedding and say, if the, if I would prepare for my wedding like this and it was done in a loving way, in a respectful way, or my future spouse were doing this, would it be something that I would interpret as positive? And if so, then it's probably a good way to enter into Mass. If not, then maybe you need to change your habits. Um, so that kind of has a lot to do with preparation. I mean, dress, 
obviously we're not going to dress in a tuxedo every time we go to mass, you know, but like dressing in a way that's reverent, that's not like an outfit that you could wear anywhere else, you know, that you're actually like entering into mass in a way that you're dressing appropriately for the occasion, um, that you wouldn't dress the same way to meet a friend for coffee as you would to go to mass. Um, but you are taking the initiative to dress more nicely, um, and that you're doing it in a reverent way. It's not distracting, um, that you're doing so you're covering the right parts of your body. It's modest. Yeah. Um, and like you're wearing appropriate clothing and this goes for guys too. Like modesty has to do with making sure that you're not trying to present a false version of yourself or get people to see you not with dignity. And a lot of times guys dress more sloppily at mass, um, as well. And they're not given a lot of flack for it because it might just cover the right places. But if you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans, like Think about how can I enter more intentionally. If I were to show up to t- in a t-shirt and jeans to my wedding, my wife would not have been happy. You know, so like yeah. I don't need to wear a tuxedo each time. But think about dressing nicely, um, and then your intention. As I said, like what's your mood? Are you coming with a prayer intention? Are you coming with some type of offering? Um, and having that spirit of joy and praise when you go to mass. Mm. Not sneaking in at the last minute. <laughs> That's you're not preparing your heart. I know. I me and my husband were talking about this. He had done um, some like reflection time and quiet time right before we left for mass. So his heart was in a, a proper place before leaving and going to mass. And he remembers um, just the like peace that he felt driving there. Yeah. But also while he was in mass, he was able to focus because he had gotten all of his other thoughts, let his brain slow down. And then he was able to actually encounter the Lord in mass. So maybe, you know, we oftentimes think, okay, I'm going to get to Mass and I will start my prayer there. Yeah. But making that entire journey, like you said, and preparing that day so that you can truly enter in and relax. And if you have a busy mind, maybe writing down everything that you need to do after Mass so you're not thinking about it in Mass. Yeah. So you're just, your mind is clear, you're good, you're centered, you're ready, and you're prepared. Yeah, if you're going to 9 o'clock Mass, that does not start for you at 9 a.m. No. Like, it's the whole process of getting there and preparing throughout the week before and making sure that you're there on time. Like, on time is not 9 o'clock. On time is enough time to, like, do everything you need to do, find the area you're going to sit, spend some quiet time, and get ready to, like, intentionally enter into Mass. And so, you know, I know this is harder for people who have big families, and it's like a miracle to get to Mass than get to Mass how you need to get to mass you know we're not no no one's going to do this perfectly but there's a disposition in your heart that you can have that makes a huge difference even though all the details maybe of getting to mass have to stay the same because of the chaos of your life it's more about the intentionality like are you entering into this because it's a relationship or because it's something you're supposed to do that's really the core i think of this Mm -hmm. and it helps inform some of the other things we can control Mm -hmm. um but you know figuring out what time works best for your family if you know it's impossible to get your kids up early in the morning don't plan to go to 7 a.m mass every sunday like There are a reason why there are different types of masses. And if you're really adamant on going to that because it's got the priest that you like or the music that you like, like be willing to recognize that's not why we go and let yourself go to a mass where you can be intentionally offering yourself in the right way, even if it doesn't have the little details that maybe you'd prefer. Uh, It may not even have to be in the language that you speak, like as long as you are entering into mass in the right way. My family Um, used to, because we are perpetually late like it's just something that we are um but when we would 
go to mass on our way we would read the readings together and we would start our our prayer time in the car because we knew that the minute we walked in we would probably be running into our seats or we just would be too chaotic in our brains to really calm down and take that time so we would start it in the car and so we'd start our readings we'd read the readings we would prepare our hearts so that we could go into mass and encounter the lord so if you're that that big busy family or you're that person just start reading the readings beforehand and preparing and really encountering god yeah and if you are like if you have to take your your kid out of mass um, I heard someone did this on one time. Sometimes kids will learn that if they make noise in mass, you'll take them outside and they can run around. And so if you establish a rule with your children once they're old enough that, hey, if we're outside for 10 minutes during mass, we're going back into church after mass is over for 10 minutes and we're making up that time with Jesus mm-hmm. and making sure that they understand, like, there's no way out of this, buddy. Like, mm-hmm. we're getting our time with the Lord uh, because sometimes you accidentally are training your children to expect that they can kind of break the mold. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have young kids, don't be afraid to sit in the front. Um, all kids can see at mass is other people's butts. Yeah. Um, and so if they sit in the front and they can actually see what's going on, let yourself do that. And don't feel bad about the sounds that they make. Like having a baby is beautiful. And if people are scowling at you, like that's their problem, honestly. Like feel free to enter into mass. Jesus wants the kids there. He said, do not deny these little ones from coming to me in scripture. And like, you're not at fault, you know? Obviously if your baby is like demon screeching for like 10 straight minutes, like yeah. maybe taking them outside yeah. would be beneficial for you and everyone else to enter into mass more um, better. But if they're making little noises and, and things like that, like those things are great. Those things are to be, you know, perpetual reminders of the joy of having a baby, you know, the joy of the life and the family life that exists in the church. And so, you know, whatever it takes for you to be able to enter in to allow yourself to do that and to make it, you know, make it work for your family. We've slowly inched our way forward. We're like slowly making our way forward. The more comfortable we get with Adelaide being the quite loud human that she is. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then once you're at mass, like entering into mass, like singing and responding, saying the re- like saying the responses loudly, singing the songs, even if you have a bad voice, like, you know, like at my wedding, like if I didn't say the responses, if I didn't echo my vows, like my wedding would not have been valid, like legally um, and theologically, like it would not have been sacramental. I have to voice my intention. And part of how we do that at mass is we say the responses. And if you don't know them, like every mass should have somewhere, hopefully it's in the pew or at least somewhere by the main entrance, a daily missile that you can open and turn to the page for that day. And I wish more parishes at the beginning of mass said, hey, welcome to mass. Today's readings are on this page of the missile. I've mm. never been in a mass where they say that. No. Never once in my life. Only if they're doing like the entrance antiphon or communion antiphon at yeah. daily mass. Yeah. And the people are like, the entrance antiphon is on page so-and-so. And you're like, what the heck is that? Like if you've never done that before, it's there's not a lot of education there. So recognize there's probably stuff to help you follow along and help your kids follow along at mass. There are a lot of my first mass books that you can buy your kids to help them learn about the parts of the mass um, and not feel like it's a time to play or eat or make noise or go outside and run around. Eating. Oh my yeah. gosh. There was a child eating Cheerios behind me. Sometimes they need to, granted. And it's fine. It was just the funniest. 
Yeah. It's the funniest noise because that's not what you expect. And then you hear crunch, 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 crunch. There's like there's a difference between the kid just needs to eat. Like the schedule worked out that day in the wrong yeah. way. If you are planning ahead, the mass you're going to go to. Hopefully, you can plan around that. But there are some people who they just bring the toy bag with them to every yeah. mass, and it's yeah. like, okay, like you're establishing for your kid. This is playtime. Yeah. And it's often I find kids that are at an age where they should be starting to take a little bit of ownership. You know, they're getting up to like six, seven, eight years old. And they're still being allowed to play with toys in the pews. And it's like, no, like, you know, now's the time for you to really start understanding why we do this, you know. And people wonder why, like, oh, my kids just don't understand the value of mass. It was like, well, you know, have you really been instilling that in them? Or you just expect it to happen now that they're older? Bring a journal. Yes. When you are, when you are present at mass, it is okay to be journaling and writing. And, and um, if that is how your brain works best, bring a journal, bring a pen, and write and reflect on the readings. I know sometimes when um, I forget my journal and I just really want to write something down, I'll pull out my phone. It's not the best thing to do, but if I really want to remember something and reflect on something and I just feel like I have to put it into words, yeah. whatever. People sometimes look at you like, why are you texting? Yeah. You know what you're doing. You're not texting. Yeah. You shouldn't be worrying about whatever everybody else is thinking. Also, please um, refrain from talking. <laughs> Like you, this is your time with Jesus and you, not the person next to you. So yes. When you're conversing with the person next to you, it's not time to be the peanut gallery when you're at mass. Like, what did he say? Or look at what he's wearing. Or like, yeah. oh my gosh, I thought he said this. Like, An offertory is also not break time for the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> so. Anyways. Obviously, there are going to be times you forget those things. Like, <laughs> but like, if you think about at your wedding, you wouldn't have to tell anyone like, hey, halfway through the wedding, it's still probably not appropriate for you to ditch out and go to the restroom. Yeah. Or to start coloring. Or like, <laughs> you know, like, so I want, I really want the wedding image to really be like the, the prominent idea you have in your mind when you go to mass. Um, what are some other things that you can do? I love the journal piece um, because the journal, like it, there's an anticipation that you're going to encounter Jesus in some way. When you bring a journal mm -hmm. and a pen, you're saying like, I'm meant to, to encounter Jesus and hear something from him at this mass. So I'm preparing to receive that and write it down so I remember it and yeah. can reflect on it. Um, so maybe it's just writing. What I like to do is write what one word from every meeting or sorry, one word or phrase from every reading that stands out to me. Mm -hmm. And then I write some, some just principal core idea from the homily and I write it in my journal and then I spend some time reflecting on that um, either um, during silent time at mass like after communion or later in that day or later in the week and I try and let that message kind of carry with me into the week mm -hmm. um, that's what it's meant to do like our marriage is meant to be carried into the future it's not like hey I do peace out I'll pick you up tomorrow you know like it's something is supposed to change in us um, and then simple things like your posture are you standing up straight um, you know, people don't have their hips cocked and their legs crossed and their arms crossed when they're getting married. Like you don't have to tell them stand up straight. Like they understand there's something special happening. Um, you know, uh, smiling. You don't have to force people to smile at their own wedding, you know, hopefully, you know, like there's a sense that we're entering into something. Um, I like to encourage people, um, when you're standing up, especially to close your eyes as much as possible and trying to echo every word that you hear. Um, in your own head. So you're repeating the words of the readings, the gospel. Um, if you do it when you're sitting down, make sure you're awake enough to not fall asleep. Or when you're kneeling, mm -hmm. make sure you're awake enough to still remember what's going on. But to really echo, uh, my old youth minister used to call it the echo method. That like everything that comes in, everything you hear, you say it in your head over again. Um, 
not like you're praying the prayer of mass, like we're not the priest, obviously, but that we are making sure every single word that's spoken during mass is permeating our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you need to pick, we've talked about this before, a word uh, for Jesus or an image of Jesus that you can repeat or reflect on anytime a distraction enters your mind. And so like if something enters your mind, you're just like, oh man, I know, so many distractions, like crazy baby. Um, and you really want to focus on that baby because she's so cute. Being able to say like, okay, this baby's awesome, but Jesus, 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 like enter me back in, enter yeah. me back in, Jesus, and focusing on that picture or that image of God. Um, and lastly, like this is something that we, I feel like we're not encouraged to do till we're older. We don't understand. Tithe. Oh, like yeah. at mass, offer what you can monetarily, financially, because this church exists to perpetuate that eternal relationship with God and us. And the least we can do is offer out of our own abundance. And if you don't think you live abundantly, you better recognize like you're already, just by the fact that you're listening to a podcast on a device, probably in the top 10% richest people in the world. Just in terms of the technology that you have access to and the time by which you have to do this. Like, Recognize that 8% of people in the world own a car. If you own a car, even if it doesn't work, you're the richest 8% of the people in the world. Even if you, it's just a couple dollars, like something out of the abundance that you have after you pay your bills and the expenses that you have to pay every month, you have a certain amount of money left. Tithe a percentage of that. 10% of that is ideal, but any percent of that, like, so that you can be showing that like, I'm not just bringing myself to mass so that I can get something. I'm recognizing mass is about gift. Mass is about generosity because I want to be in a generous practice of praise for all that God has given me. Um, a couple last things, like these are from some words that Pope Francis has shared about the Mass um, from Evangelii Gaudium, the joy of the gospel, his first papal encyclical. Um, he said phrases, I'm, I'm not going to quote him directly, but um, entering into Mass, it shouldn't look like there's a funeral happening, you know? Um, and, and not in the sense that all funerals are sad, like funerals are a celebration of life. Uh, or they're meant to be, but to recognize like this is not something terrible. Um, and I've heard many people reflect on the fact that their kids, young kids, will rebel and say like, I don't want to go to mass. And they'll ask them why. And the kids will say, because nobody looks happy when they're yeah. there. And it's like, yeah, why would, why would anyone want to go? And so if someone were to enter a church for the first time, a Catholic church for the first time during mass, and you were there, would they know the gravity and the joy of what's happening if they were only to look at the expression on your face? Like that's a good litmus test for the joy. And the, the in, if you smile, if you force yourself to smile all of mass, you will have a more joyful experience of mass. Even if you're faking it in the beginning, you just start to, it starts to affect your persona and you start making eye contact with other people, smiling at them and it lifts everything up. Pope Francis also says in that encyclical uh, that we are an Easter people, but so many people act like they're stuck in Lent. Mm -hmm. And that is the same idea, like that we need to be having that joy with us perpetually, even in those penitential seasons, because we know that's not the end of the story. There's always another season that follows that reminds us of our joy. So we're always experiencing joy, anticipating joy in everything that we do. Remember, God shows up for you every single day, every single week. He doesn't care about your status in life. He doesn't care about if you're in a really huge state of sin or if you're totally on fire. He's still going to show up. He cares about those things, but it's it's not conditional. It's not going to 
He's not going to choose who he shows up for based on who's sinful or who's not. Yeah. And so how can you show up for God every single week? And uh, there was a really famous saint, St. Catalina. I don't know if you shared this story on the podcast before. I think I heard it from you. But uh, the saint had a vision of mass uh, during the offertory when the gifts are brought up. And she saw everyone's guardian angel and they filed up like for communion. But a lot of the guardian angels were sad because they had nothing to offer. And so what do you bring to mass that you can offer to recognize there's something happening here that's calling me to a deeper sense of relationship, like a wedding and treat mm-hmm. every mass like that? Mm-hmm. Would you show up to mass in your pajamas or would you show up to your wedding in your pajamas? No, then don't show up to or a mass like that. Or what you're going you know? to a yeah. nightclub in. Yeah. Or would you show up to mass late saying like, oh, well, you're lucky I'm even here. Would you show up to a wedding like that? Your wedding like that? No, you wouldn't. And so let yeah. that affect the disposition of your heart. And how you approach mass, because then you might actually start to receive what's being offered. Yeah. So, we have this legit saint for today. Too legit to quit, as she they say. She is so freaking cool. And I just, I love, um, I just, I, I love her dedication and I love her trust. And so, her name is St. Claire of Assisi. Now, she was very, very good friends with St. Francis of Assisi, um, and he was her, um, just like her educator and the one that um, really helped form who she became. And so what happened with St. Claire is this, when she was 15, she refused to marry someone, and um, because she was so moved by Francis's dynamic preaching and she, that she heard him one time, and so... Um, at the age of 18, she actually escaped from her father's home one night and was met on the road with, um, by some friars who took her in and they brought her into this little chapel (laughs) in the funny and gave her, um, her very first, very, very rough wool habit. And she, in that moment, exchanged her jewelry belt and exchanged her, um, common robes for her habit. And so she went and she lived um, at the Benedictine convent. And just very, very shortly after all of this happened, her father and her brothers came to um, take her away. And when this happened, they came storming in and she threw aside her veil and laid herself um, on the altar of the church and clung to it to show like she had chopped her hair off because she had these beautiful golden locks Mm. of hair and so she had chopped her hair off um in as like a sign that she wanted to give up her life for um the church and to to live this life and so um 16 days later her sister came to join her and then more time more after that um, people saw her simple life of poverty and just her, they, they kind of secluded themselves from the world. And so many people saw how she was living her life and really felt called to do the same. And so she brought a lot of people with her. Um, and then at the age of 21, Francis allowed her, um, to accept the office of abbess. Is that how to say it? Yes. Thank you. I just want to make sure. Which she exercised until... The head until, sister of an abbey, yeah. Yeah. Um, she exercised until her death as, as a 21-year-old. Yeah, that's pretty young. Right? I mean, people lived young, like had low life expectancies then, but that, I think that's still pretty that's young for still an abbess. really young. I don't know. I, 
I've never studied that, so who knows? Um, so they were called the poor ladies, and they went around barefoot, they slept on the ground, they ate no meat, and they observed absolute, complete silence. Now, um, later on, Claire persuaded her sisters to moderate this because she said, our bodies are not made of brass. Basically, we're not made for this kind of life to be constant. Yeah. Um, we're made to live in community, and so while those practices were good... They said, well, let's slow it down a little bit and do a little less of it. Um, so her life continued on. And the, the real thing that I really wanted to focus here on her was a very, very um, crazy moment in her life when... Let me find my notes on it. Um, I lost my notes on it. Oh, well, it's okay. I know the story. Basically what happened was this. was that um, there was a king, and his armies were storming and pillaging all of these villages leading up to the convent where Claire was staying. And so I know, see, Adelaide, the anticipation is it's, killing it's, me too. It's just so What's going to happen? So basically, they're pillaging all of these villages, and as they're coming closer and closer and closer, St. Clair can see them coming up over the mountain. And so she runs into the, um, the chapel, grabs the monstrance, grabs Christ, and places him on the wall in front of their convent. And... As the army is coming up the mountain, they witness this and they see this. And um, I wish I had my notes. I lost it. Oh, it's, this is what she says. She says, Does it please you, O God, to deliver into the hands of these beasts the defenseless children I have nourished with your love? I beseech you, dear Lord, protect those whom I am now unable to protect. And to her sisters, she said, Do not be afraid. Trust in Jesus. And at that moment... They fled. The army completely was terrified, and they just ran away. Um, and so it was this trust that Claire had in the Eucharist, in Christ, that knowing he was present in the the bread, the, the I can't even talk because it's just like too much, in the bread, in the wine, that he was there truly present, and that she could trust in the salvation of that and in the salvation that he has provided for us. Um and so I just challenge you to have that trust. And if you really struggle with Christ being present in the Eucharist, next time you go to Mass, next time you go to Adoration, pray what if. What if this is the God of the universe in front of me on the altar, pouring out everything that he has for me, and just simply waiting for me to accept that and pour everything back into him. What if this is the God that made the stars and the heavens and wanted me? So... St. Clair, pray for us. Yes. And St. Charles Borromeo, our patron saint, as always, pray for us. Pray for us. So many of the saints had great Eucharistic devotions, but she's just one of those people who like acted on it so faithfully. It's really cool. She did that again another time, um, but um, that was probably the most famous account. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, read up on her. She's awesome. Most people know St. Francis. Not as many people know St. Clair of Assisi. So, um, yeah, hopefully this... Yeah, hopefully this podcast benefited you. Go back to Mass. Mass happens every day. Not sure if you knew that, but there are daily Masses offered all around you. Um, and take some time um, without the Sunday hustle and bustle, maybe, if that's your, your common experience at Mass and you really want to try and experience this. Maybe try with a daily Mass when you can go on your own during a lunch break um, or something like that from work. Um, you know, I guarantee you can find something near you. And if you need help 
uh, reach out to us. We'll try and find a mass near you. Um, we have some different apps and locators There's and people that we know. website called yes. Mass Near Me. <laughs> that too, yeah. But if you need help, if you're not technologically savvy, I assume you are because you're listening to a podcast right now. But, um, you know, who knows how you listen to this. But we, we're happy to help and we would love, as always, your feedback. But until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye, Bye Adelaide. <laughs>